don't whatever you do don't go presuppositional don't reject natural theology it might become the cool thing to do but it's you know it's not something that every christian has to get into i mean as far as you know not every christian has to be an astute scholar in the category or in the study of natural theology and um you know there can be some dangers to emphasizing natural theology you know where you where you get to a point where you're studying only natural theology to the neglect of supernatural theology which is the cream of the crop right that's that is the sufficient knowledge unto salvation and it's it's sufficient uh for for man's life lived unto god um, so, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't want to overemphasize these things by any means. But the other thing is we want to be rational as Christians. We want to, uh, make logical sense. I'm not just saying that we need to make sense to people. There are a lot of things that people think make sense that really make no logical sense. Um, so what I'm saying is that we need to make sense in an objective, uh, way. And, um... And to do that, uh, we can't deny the things like the laws of logic or the basic reliability of our sense perception and these, these kind of baseline fundamental things that we need to assume are true, that we need to assume are there in order to even live our lives on an everyday basis. For example, you, you assume, you don't, you don't calculate it in your head and all of that, but you assume when you walk out your door in the morning that things are going to be the same, relatively speaking, in five minutes than they were five minutes previously, right? Um, so you, you you don't you don't walk out your door expecting gravity to give out. You don't walk out your door expecting um, the laws of logic no longer to hold, and then everyone is in this kind of intellectual. Uh, communicative limbo, uh, unable to understand anything that the other person's saying, right? So we make these assumptions on an everyday basis. And these things that we assume represent propositionally in our minds as we assume them, of course, they're mental to that extent, but as they hold in nature, as they describe and, and define and rightly characterize nature, are truths that God instilled into creation, that are laws which even govern creation according to his providence. And these laws are experienced by creatures, especially by rational creatures, which are human beings. And when you come along and you say, well, no, human beings really don't experience those things but then, out of the other side of your mouth, you're, you're saying, no, humans do experience those things because they're condemned as a result of experiencing these things, these things which show forth the glory of God, per Romans 1, 18 through 20. Then it's difficult for many people to make sense of that. So you're, you're saying, on the, on the one hand, no, there is no X. Let's not even use the buzzword yet. There is no X. But on the other hand, there is X because of Romans 1, 18 through 20, especially, and then Romans 1, 21, especially. They knew God, but did not honor him as God. So what is the X, right? That's, I guess, I guess that's, that's the big question. 
And a lot of people uh, have determined to deny uh, X or the existence of X, which we would call natural theology. Um, you know, they would say, well, natural theology doesn't exist. Only natural revelation exists. Um, and of course, we retort with, if natural revelation and natural theology are essentially one and the same thing, then it follows that natural revelation is determined by what I think about it. So there has to be a distinction between natural revelation, which is what God has objectively revealed about himself through nature, and our knowledge of it. And when we refer to natural theology, we are saying something about our knowledge of natural revelation, right or wrong. I mean, there can be wrong natural theology. It's a false theology, theologia falsa in the Latin in that case. But it doesn't have to be a wrong natural theology. And uh, I think what has, you know, what one of the things that I talked about in the, in the last episode, and by the way, if you haven't watched that before you watch this, please go back and watch that before you watch this part and the next part that uh, I will be doing after this one. Um, because I'm going, because that first that first installment, the one that I'm talking about right now, it's technically not part one, but it's a, it is kind of a preamble to what we're talking about here. Natural theology, we affirm, along with Thomas Aquinas, John Owen, and Stephen Charnock. Go back and watch that episode. Um, and I set up much of what we're going to, to talk about here, and, and I just try to make plain that there is a basic agreement between someone like Thomas Aquinas, John Owen, and Stephen Charnock. And I think that that basic agreement is made very clear in the extant literature. And I read some of that. I looked at, we looked at Thomas's, what Thomas had to say on the screen here, but I read Owen and I read Charnock to everyone in uh, or from relevant areas of their works, Charnock's Existence and Attributes of God, Owen's Biblical Theology. What I want to do in this in this episode is to actually demonstrate that natural theology was assumed in Protestant Reformed Orthodoxy, and I'll do that in this part, and then in the next part I will hopefully demonstrate that it was also being assumed in particular Baptist Orthodoxy, and we'll look at the particular Baptist uh, confessions and uh, catechism in the following in the following part. But here, what I want to look at here is, um, let me pull it up here, is uh, really just the Belgic Confession and uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and then maybe if we have time, the larger catechism, uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, there is a reference to the light of nature in the 39 articles, and that reference to the light of nature is carried on uh, throughout the rest of uh, of the confessional literature found uh, or coming out of the Reformation. Uh, but I will say that uh, the 39 Articles really doesn't present a clear statement uh, concerning the light of nature. It kind of just uh, mentions it positively, but what by way of negation, in the sense that it's negating the assumption that Rome made or that some within Roman Catholicism were making at the time that, that natural theology was somehow sufficient unto man's obedience. And, um, and so that's, that's denied in the 39 articles. But the, 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 the category, the theological category, or the subspecies, really, or the species of theology, natural theology, uh, is 
is carried on throughout the rest of the Reformed Confessions and then the particular Baptist Confessions of Faith as well. Um, now, it never the confessional literature never says natural theology. What it does do is, again, look back at the previous episode, and I kind of lay out the theological milieu that needs to contextualize these documents. What it does do is it uses the light of nature, which we would understand to be natural revelation. That is what God has revealed about himself through nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. Everyone knows God through the things that have been made. Romans 1, Romans 2, the law of God written on the hearts of men. So that's the, the light of nature that we will encounter in this confessional literature is, uh, is natural revelation. But we'll also observe that it was assumed that man can know the light of nature, that it gets into here. And that's what contemporary theologians and philosophers refer to as natural theology. But it's really just a basic biblical truth laid out in Romans 1. Um, knowing natural revelation just is called natural theology in our book, all right? That's, and I think that if you look back at the, at the literature that surrounds the confessional documents and kind of historically contextualizes them, then that's what you will find as well, from Owen to Charnock to Watson to um, going back to Peter Martyr Vermigli, thing, people like that, uh, you'll see that, that I think that you'll see that uh, natural revelation being known by the subject is is just is natural theology, and uh, it's explicitly called such in, in Owen. If you read his biblical theology, he starts by articulating natural theology first. So first, the first thing I want to hit is the Belgic Confession. I'm not going to look at the 39 articles. We're just going to look here at the Belgic Confession, and then we'll look at the Westminster Confession, and then probably the larger catechism is what we will, we will end on today. But let's see if I can bring this up here. Um... Here we go. And I don't, yeah, I can, we can make it bigger here. Um, the Belgic Confession is really nice because it actually explicitly lays out um, how we can know God, the means by which we know God. And it says, we know God by two means. All right. Now, this was carried through in men like Francis Turretin. By the way, if you haven't read um, much of the uh, original sources, the primary source material on this, which would be like Francis Turretin, uh, John Owen, etc., the reformers, you could look at even John Calvin's natural theology. Uh, John Calvin was by no means a Thomist, uh, but there were, you know, he wasn't as opposed to Thomas as some want to make him sound. Uh, he, he, um, he certainly was opposed to Thomas, but just not to the extent that some want him to be. Um, uh, but anyway, if you look at those, if you look at those uh, sources, the primary source material, if you're talking about reformational uh, literature, um, you're going to see pretty quickly that there are two means by which we know God. There are two, um, I guess you might say, theologies or two means of theology. Um, and that is uh, a natural knowledge of God and a um, uh, supernatural knowledge of God, which comes only by the scriptures. Now, uh, this is basically laid out here and stated in the Belgic Confession, Article 2, the means by which we know God. There are two. First, it says, 
by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book. Okay, so describes revelation, natural revelation, as a book, the book of nature, um, in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. God's eternal power and divinity, as the Apostle says in Romans 1.20, and we know that Romans 1.20 is applied to unbelievers as well, so we'll just assume that, you know, the framers of the Belgic Confession here were assuming that these letters in creation, they say, this beautiful book, was getting in here in, in some measure. It was getting in here. So there was a natural theology, if you will. All these things are enough to convict humans and to leave them without excuse. It wouldn't be enough to convict humans and to leave them without excuse if they didn't apprehend it in their minds. That is, if they weren't doing any kind of natural theology whatsoever. And the second way, of course, that people know God is God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word as much as we need in this life for God's glory and for our salvation. Now, I just at this point, I want to point out a parallel between the Belgic Confession and Thomas Aquinas that I looked at. I looked at Thomas's words, kind of how he sets up the existence of God. He doesn't begin his Summa with the existence of God. A lot of people think he begins his Summa with the five ways. He doesn't. He begins his Summa talking about divine revelation and the necessity of special revelation in order for man to know God truly and 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 rightly and sufficiently. Um, so people should go back to, you know, question one before hitting question two on the existence of God. Um, uh, so this parallels Thomas's order uh, that there are there's a twofold knowledge of God or twofold means of knowing God, Scripture and nature. Okay, uh, there's again there's a basic agreement here. What I'm calling a basic agreement. I'm not making the claim that the framers of the Belgic Confession, uh, the Dutch Reformed. Uh, I'm not making the claim that even Owen or Charnock, who I looked at at the last in the last episode, agreed on every point of Thomas's natural theology. That's not what I'm arguing. That's not what anyone's arguing actually in this conversation, as far as I'm aware. But there is basic agreement on some very important issues, on some very important items that are pertinent to the current current. Um, uh, the current atmosphere of discussion slash debate. So that's the Belgic Confession. We see that there are two means established by which man knows God. All right, this isn't framed as uh, two means by which man may know God. It's two means by which man does know God. We know God by two means. It says. Okay, let's move on to the uh, Westminster Confession. Um, this is coming. This is the uh, 1647. It's coming off of the. Uh, uh, Ligonier website, Ligonier.org. Um, so just to let you know where, where I'm viewing this at, uh, the Belgic Confession, I was, of course, looking at it at CRCNA. Um, but here is the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, and just kind of a heads up, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith says the same thing in this, in this chapter and article. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable. Again, there's basic agreement with the Belgic Confession. There's basic agreement with Thomas. There's basic agreement with Owen and, and Charnock. This is, a, uh, this is an orthodox tenet, it seems. It's, 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 it's part of accepted Reformed orthodoxy. Uh, at this point, we're seeing it codified in the Westminster. We saw it codified at the Belgic. Um, it's at least mentioned in the 39 articles. 
Um, it's ex it's extant in in the literature of the reformers, but here we're looking at the confessional literature, and it's it's emerging as an orthodox distinctive of the reformed. The light of nature and the works of creation do so uh, and providence do so far manifest that shows the goodness, wisdom, and power of God. Again, it's the natural revelation as to leave men unexcusable. That's the natural theology. So they have a natural theology. They have a theology of God through creation. But it says. Those things are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. In other words, nobody can know God good enough through creation. In fact, it's worse for them. It's worse for them that they know God through creation. It's not helpful to them at all. John Owen dis discusses this in his, uh, in his discussion on natural theology in the fallen state of man, that it's really not helpful. All right? it's, it's condemnatory for those who are outside of Christ. Edifying for the believer, condemnatory for those who are outside of Christ, because they, they come to these great conclusions, right? They have to acknowledge the existence of God, and what do they do immediately once they acknowledge it? Once they apprehend some measure of natural theology, boom, idolatry, perversion of the truth. Um, okay, lastly, uh, uh, just so if you want to look at that, that's again, that's chapter one, that's of Holy Scripture, this very first chapter, the Westminster Confession. Um, Let's look now at uh, the larger catechism. By the way, in the next installment, uh, I'll look at the Baptist Confessions, but I'll begin by looking at the Savoy Declaration, uh, which is another document that the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith borrowed from, in addition to the Westminster. So we'll look at the Savoy Declaration as well before we jump into those Baptist Confessions. But just by way of a, a note, that the Savoy Declaration was the uh, the the confessional document for Pado baptists so they baptized babies, but they were independent in their church polity. That's, that's the distinctive with the Savoy Declaration of Faith. So uh, they maintained a lot of continuity with Baptist theology in terms of church polity. They're very close there. And so the Baptist confessions are not as devi uh, deviant from the Savoy Declaration as it is from the Westminster Confession in the chapter on the church. Okay. So just kind of a, a helpful note there. Now, uh, this is the Westminster Larger Catechism. This question is not included in the Shorter Catechism, as far as I'm aware, but it's question two, um, and we'll see a similar question in the Baptist Confession, or, or Catechism, Keech's Catechism, we'll look at. Uh, but question two in the Westminster Larger, how does it appear that there is a God? Okay, how does it appear that there is a God? Answer, the very light of nature in man and the works of God declare plainly that there is a God, but his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. So again, here's a catechetical statement. The very light of nature in man. This is something that's in man. It's not something that's just outside of man that, man, that, that unregenerate man does not have access to or that they cannot know. This is something in man. This is something they're intimately familiar with. They are knowledgeable of, yet, of course, they have perverted it, and they, they use it toward their own wicked ends according to their sin nature, their perverted wills and minds and things of that nature. So the very light of nature in man, so that's the innate, and the works of God, which is your acquired, which is the source of your acquired knowledge of God through creation, declare plainly that there is a God. Okay, they're plain. They're clear, they're perceived, as the language of Romans 1, 18 through 21 states. These things are clearly perceived. 
another word used there, and I, I believe it's Romans one eighteen, clearly uh, discerned by the unregenerate that there is a God. They know this God, but they choose not to honor him as God, Romans one twenty one says. And um, so this is where I'm going to go ahead and leave off. Again, I'm just... My purpose here is to show that there is a natural theology that emerges as a distinctive within Reformed orthodoxy, uh, so that you cannot say natural theology is altogether banished, exiled, denied among the Reformers or the post-Reformed. Uh, this most certainly emerges as a as a tenet of Reformed orthodoxy, and and if you want more nuance than that, um, which I would encourage you to to go and find, then if you can get a hold of a copy, if you have access to a, a nice school library uh, at a at a seminary or something like that, go try and track down, and they may be for sale. Um, last time I checked, they were out of print, but go track down uh, Richard Muller's. Uh, Post-Reformed, Reformed Dogmatics, P-R-R-D. And uh, it's a four-volume set. You may have to pay a little bit of money for it, but it is extremely helpful in canvassing the history, especially in the prolegomena, the very first volume that he covers this. Natural theology, knowledge of God, innate, acquired, natural knowledge, supernatural knowledge, all of that. He, he covers all of that and surveys in depth the history and the orthodoxy on those matters in Reformed thought. And he moves throughout, uh, you know, he even looks at the medieval scholastics and he moves up to the Reformed and then the post-Reformed. So it's it's very comprehensive, it's very detailed, and anyone who wants to know what was actually being believed then in terms of natural theology, all you need to go do is read Muller, who is a preeminent scholar uh, of our day, a uh, great church historian, and his work is well cited. It's I, you know, I I hope that this new book by Dr. Jeff Johnson interacts with it, um, because if it doesn't, that's, then it's going to be seriously lacking. It's going to be seriously lacking if it doesn't. So anyway, uh, I'll I'll end there, and then in the next part we'll look at the Savoy Declaration, the Baptist Confession of Faiths, Faiths, Baptist Confessions of Faith the first London and the second London, then we'll look at the um, uh, Keech's Catechism to see what it has to say on natural theology. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.